So I think it, it, it's such a great approach to go after those different baskets. Um, so when you're explaining that and walking dealers through it, what are the reactions that you're getting and which one are they primarily focused on going out and really grabbing? They want the conquest. There's no doubt. I mean, every dealer in sales and service and part, whatever, they want the conquest so that, you know, they want to know that they're out there winning the game and beating their competition. And we love it. Um, yep. so, um, so that aspect is so much fun. Um, I would say the one that catches them off guard most is that warranty conversion. Mm. They, they don't necessarily think about that as a segment, someone who only is coming in for warranty. And that has been one that I would say most folks have really responded to uh, in being able to say, wow, yeah, that is, that is not someone that we're targeting. Um, wow. And so that arena, you know, that arena has been fun to, to just, that segment's already there, but just kind of opening the door to that segment or opening the view to that. Segment. Yeah. Shine some light on it for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Call some attention Definitely. to it. So I, you brought up a great point that I had not thought of with all of the relocation that's going on in the, in the country right now, people migrating from one state to another state, certainly uh, Texas, Georgia, Arizona, Florida, sure. all of those are having massive North Carolina, massive uh, customer influx. I, I think it just it really speaks to the volume of the importance of, of targeting those customers that the minute they get in the on the ground and marketing the services to them, because what we know about Americans is they're going to have a car right. and they're going to be using that car and the car needs service. And uh, I just think that's such a great aspect to it. And I'm certainly any dealer, uh, you know, should really look at this program. But if you're in a dealer that's seen an influx of, of transplants from out of state, I mean, what a great opportunity to get your message in front of them first. Um, and that's what sometimes a lot of people do is, you know, they'll find where that service facility is going to be, whether it's an independent repair facility, uh, a branded dealership or an off-branded right. dealership, they're going to get comfortable there. And you know, how important it is to get that, that first visit in and under their belt, I think would be very, very significant. It really makes a difference. And it's just, you know, as we talk with, with dealers in different markets, there's, there's a common thread of challenges, but every dealer is so different and especially in fixed ops um, because how many bays you have, you know, mm -hmm. makes a difference. How many, uh, I mean, technician retention and, and recruitment right now could not be a bigger topic in terms of, of what we're hearing from dealers. Um, and then you even look at things like, Hey, over the last two years, the last two years of sales match 2012, 2008. And then you have to go back to 1994 to find the last time that we were in the 14 and a half to 15 wow. million sales. So on the down of 2008, on the back up of 2012, and then it was in the 16, 7, you know, 16, 17, until you go back to like 94. In that arena, if you look at just 2020 and 2021 with 14 and a half and 15 million sales respectively, you're looking at roughly about four and a half million fewer new car sales. Now, profits buoyed, everyone did great, right? Everything's good, but that's going to be four and a half million fewer warranty repairs um, that 
or exponential of mm -hmm. how many warranties uh, repairs are required on those vehicles. Um, you've got that many fewer vehicles in years to come. You've got the transition to electric um, and, you know, uh, different areas of the country are transitioning at different paces uh, in terms of electric. So there's so many things on the horizon in terms of what's going on within fixed stops um, that we just see this as a continued area to con really help dealers with the transitions uh, that are coming because right now many of them are like, man, I am maxed. Uh, you know, I've got two and three week waits uh, because of part supply issues um, because we've got a you know supply shortage of parts. Um, I'm, I'm trying to maximize my tech hours uh, and trying to have the tech efficiency on that side. And as dealers continue to work in that arena and make it more and more efficient, we're excited to be able to help bring some stability and bring some engagement because what I'm hearing is, you know, they can handle, they can find the, the basic tech, the lube oil filter tech, right? That person they can get out there and they can find or they can train rel relatively quick. So if they can start to build up that side of the business while they recruit and retain their master techs mm -hmm. and we can continue to bring in that business and, and they can continue to move on that, that's where they can create that exponential growth for themselves. That's where you know, if they've got a couple of days that aren't being used because they don't have master techs, but they can find a couple of lube oil filter guys and they can just turn those. Um, all of a sudden you're, you're getting more people engaged with the dealership, more people engaged with your customer experience. You're getting more people engaged with just how you do business and all the things that our dealers talk about, the family owned or, you know, whatever their distinction is. And we can introduce consumers into that dealership in so many different ways. So uh, through fixed stops. And so it just creates a lot of opportunities, even in a time of great uncertainty uh, and, and chaos. As we know, chaos always creates opportunity. There aren't a lot of uh, things that last 16 years. And in, in fact, there's certain manufacturers or vehicle models that haven't even made it 16 years. And for warranty forever to still going strong, that's, that's fantastic. Now. It did come to market amidst the Great Recession. Um, it, it just you could not have a more inverse market to what we are in today. Um, sure. a, a total oversupply of inventory and a, and a lack of demand versus you know where we are today. So dealers were really fighting for that sale, and you know the why buy here became so prevalent and so prominent throughout our industry, um, which helped accelerate the program. Now, fast forward those sixteen years, we're in a very different time and dealers don't need assistance really selling cars because there's so much more demand than there is a su a supply. Does warranty forever still hold the same weight from uh, a why buy here and a program benefit and should dealers still pay attention to it? Yeah, uh, yeah fair question. Um, and, I, and I think an assumption that we're making, although I, I don't necessarily subscribe to it, is that we're going to continue to stay in this situation, right? Where there's mm -hmm. no inventory. I mean, I, I'm concerned now that we're going to flood the market and we're going to now shift back the other way. Um, so let's just assume though, that we do stay in this for the next two years. You know, some manufacturers are probably saying six months. I've heard some say a year, two years, who really knows, but let's just assume that inventory, there's still an inventory shortage. We know um, because warranty forever can actually prove it, that customers are driving greater distances to purchase 
vehicles. In this case, we're talking mm-hmm. auto, but it does apply to also power sports and, and RV. So aside from availability, what else are our clients selling? What else is going to cause your customers to drive greater distances to buy from you? And, and Warranty Forever has been that solution because it creates a brand, brand recognition. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that that also plays into the importance of this program and the passion that I have, because we're helping dealers uh, really build a brand, take them from, in some cases, irrelevance to market leaders. Right. Yeah. Um, You know, the other thing that that I don't I don't hear a lot of discussion out in the industry, but it comes down to trade cycles. How is this going to impact trade cycle? I mean, think of the the price of pre-owned vehicles right now and the general population, the general consumer has. I I don't want to say caught on, but they've been educated that right now prices are inflated. So now it's forcing them to hang on to their vehicles. And so if you haven't had a, a some sort of program in place that's going to focus on retention, drawing that customer back mm-hmm. for service, it might almost be too late, but you should probably start thinking about that now. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that that's one of the great things. And then first appointments, um, you know, the, the oil changes out there. Most manufacturers, some dealers give away one one oil change or three. But is that really creating a habit? Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Or, or is there a program design that not forces them, but encourages them to return to your selling dealer? Right. So and they're I, generally I, only doing that on new vehicles. Right? And so you're short sighting yourself, especially in today's environment where most dealers are selling far more pre-owned than they are new. Yep. Uh, you, you're foregoing that that first, second, third service appointment. Yeah. Great point. Great point. So what are some of the, the KPIs or key performance indicators that dealers should be looking at? Yeah, um, some of the basic ones are going to be, and some of this really is going to depend on how they've structured their pay plans and their goals in the dealership. So effective labor aid is an important one, and really a lot of dealerships overlook that or maybe don't understand it. If you took 10 service managers and said, tell me the formula, how do I achieve knowing what my effective labor aid is? probably seven of them wouldn't know. It's mm-hmm. used a lot, but a lot of times the door rate is confused with the effective labor rate. And a shop will say, well, my, my door rate's $150 an hour. Well, if we factor in all the oil changes that you mentioned we're doing for 1995, and it's not a thing of the past completely either. There's still some out there doing it at these prices. That dwindles down the average labor dollar that you're actually achieving per hour. So you have to take the labor dollars you actually collected and divide that by the hours that were billed on the ticket. Then you have your true effective labor rate. But dollars per hour, hours per repair order, um, keeping it simple, I think is important and picking a few to track. And then, and they're going to vary from brand to brand. You know, if you see a, an import manufacturer, they may have more repair orders in a lower dollar per hour or dollar per repair order. And somewhat that's because they have a philosophy more based upon preventative maintenance than some domestic manufacturers who might have a higher dollar per repair order, less repair orders per day and higher hours because there's more of a repair work mix going on there. Mm -hmm. But if we focus on, let's say dollars per repair order or hours per repair order, effective labor rate, and then maintenance penetration, that's a good starting point. You're sort of looking at how you're playing the hand you're dealt and you're seeing all sides of it. 
over the years too, the, the work mix has shifted from being more predominant repair. You know, 20 years ago, 75% of the work mix at a dealership would be repair. You know, we're, we're fixing that leaky water pump or the mirror switch, replacing something. Now, as a whole, it's closer to 70-30 maintenance versus repair. And wow. Because the cars are being built better. They're not breaking quite as, as much. The warranties may be longer or different. But regardless of why, certain manufacturers or certain dealerships have adopted the policy more than others. So you're going to see a mix in what your particular dealership's goals need to be. But And we can help identify those goals with with a, a store and also help them look at their market when they determine how they should price. You might go to a 20 group and, and get some information on what the best people in that group are doing, but it may not at all apply to your particular market in dealership. So you need to look at things globally as well as locally. But if I'm working with the car dealership, those are the types of things that I'm gonna look at. And we need to not be looking at them once a month when the month ends, we need to be looking at them every single day and not just looking at them, but using them in our daily coaching with the employees. And that's one of the things that's pivotal that we provide with our customers is we provide reporting by teaming up with their DMS system and getting that information to them every day. So many of these things, it's like having the process or the playbook. All the dealers have access to these numbers and to this reporting, which is sort of irrelevant because they don't utilize it and they don't look at it. And then whether they look at it or not, and whether they look at it and turn it into an action with their team are two totally different things. So we're going to help you get the right things to track, help track them for you, and then stimulate those conversations that turn into whether we're going to actually have long-term growth or not, because looking at our benchmarks is one thing and it's very important, but it's not going to get us very far if we don't talk about them, use them and, and adjust them based upon current goals and current trends on how hopefully we're improving month by month. Yeah. And I, I think that's so important. You brought up, brought up a great point. The, the dealers all have, the information at their disposal. Um, but I do think that there's a lack of individuals like you out there who truly understand them and can articulate it and educate a dealer in a non-threatening manner to help them improve their business, yeah. um, which is, I think, a big part of why the service department gets overlooked. Most dealers have come from the front end. Um, they started on the show floor, they worked their way up through F&I, got to the sales desk, general manager, and they got familiar with service, either through NADA retail, you know, the dealer academy, or just kind of overseeing it, working with the service director or service manager as when they were the GM, but very few of them really dive in um, and understand what those numbers are. But then more importantly, I think what you bring to the table is, well, how do you move them? Here's what they are. We'll educate you. This is what it means. And it's different. You know, you may own five different franchises and these number target numbers should be different, maybe for every one of those franchises. Now we're going to show you how to move the needle and we're going to help you, you know, gain that uh, additional profit. And I think that that's huge. Um, and I think it's, it's often overlooked and I, and, and to, to be, you know, candid, I don't think NADA does a good enough job speaking to it either because it's all about the SARS report. It's all about unit sales. It's all about manufacturers. Um, and it's very little time talking about 
the bulk of a dealer's business from a capital investment and a ticket opportunity, the service department. 